ending me, my word. Otherwise, we would have just talked for an hour. I mean, I've, I've considered that so many times on, like, podcasts I've listened to where, like, how much pressure is that as the person hosting it? Like, if you just get into the conversation off the bat and, like, two hours later, you look down and the red light is not blinking and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, I, um, I used to listen to one called the Gus and Eddie podcast. Are you, are you familiar with that at all? Um, not by name. No, but uh, they stopped doing it. Um, I want to say sometime this year, but it ran on for like three years. It was really funny, but like almost every episode halfway through, like whoever was in charge that day of recording, they'd be like, hold on, let me make sure I'm recording. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you just, I just, I mean, yeah, I, I just can't fathom. Like I would have like several different ways to hit record so that yes. you were like you know, triple checked no absolutely um, that's like um that's like one of my biggest nightmares actually i did do that recently uh with a guest i had uh anthony this actor local actor who's who's uh, i think has a lot of potential to be one of the greats someday his name is anthony sales and i forgot to hit record on the zoom <laughs> recorder but thankfully i was recording a video with my phone and the audio was good enough uh to kind of i edited a bit um but um I, th- I was so embarrassed. Maybe Still, it's just meant even to be when that I had way. a backup. It's meant to be that way for reasons we don't know yet. <laughs> exactly. Dude, what, what have you been up to today? Um, today, I am actually getting ready to go into work here in a couple of hours. We're doing some night work um, over outside of Atlanta. And yes. uh, so just waiting for the sun to go down. <laughs> Ooh. but um I, 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 and I, I kind of like that um just because I think you and I were talking recently that especially I'm working on like a TV production right now and TV production you definitely get into a rhythm with just how each day is sort of structured just because uh just they have so much stuff to get coverage of and just so I mean it's just it's mind-boggling the logistics of you know, 13 episodes versus, you know, two hours. And um, so, you know, naturally you just have to get into a sort of predictable schedule just yeah. to keep track of it. But every now and then in the schedule, you'll get kind of like a cool reverse day where you have to wait, you know, till nighttime. And I, I don't know, I, some people kind of that annoys them, but for some reason I've always enjoyed when like a work day is a very unusual type of schedule. Cause it just, I don't know, it adds an interesting sort of uh, aura to the the day yeah. of work uh and uh yeah we did talk about that on the phone like last week i want to say and um one of the i I, just, I have a question for you now in my head um speak with, with television <laughs> <laughs> now i'll ask you some other day <laughs> no um, just read just read my mind so i've i've done i want to say like four television shows before, but I've only ever been a recurring uh, character on one of them. And um, like a movie, um, you know, things are cut, but yeah. um, I feel like, you know, obviously like a television show, if it has 10 episodes, let's say it's a, an hour long, that's 10 hours. Or yeah. if it's just a 30 minute uh, episode, you know, that's, that's five hours yeah which is you know a lot you know double of what a movie is and um have you uh while filming like i feel like i have a pretty good radar of being like oh that's gonna get cut or that's not making it <laughs> and, uh, and I, I would never say like what specifically because you know i don't think it's ever on the writer or the director or anything but sometimes you just i don't know i just have that feeling uh, and you don't have to say specifically, but do you kind of get that feeling whenever you're on set or like on a TV show, you're like, yeah, I doubt we'll ever see this like subplot actually happen. Um, and definitely speaking from, you know, just limited experience in terms of like, I've, cause I, I've, I've been on like in a lot of, you know, like smaller kind of like content creation projects, like for different like advertisements or for different, like, uh, like almost like 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 daytime TV type shows. Yeah. And at least for me so far, those are the times where I'll definitely see 
things that I'm like, that's probably not going to make it in, but that's more so because like, especially like, like if it's like, you know, something, I don't know, for like, you know, Food Network or for HGTV or for, you know, like Discovery Channel or just, you, you know, anything like that, or even just like a, an ad for a company, you have a lot more sort of coverage on the fly sometimes mm -hmm. where, you know, they'll, they'll sort of find a moment or kind of craft a moment as they go, since they're, they might not be going to like a, a shot by shot script, but they're more going for like a tone or a theme and shooting around that. And so at least for me, that's where I've definitely seen stuff where even if it was a really nice sort of genuine moment, maybe it was too long, maybe it was too short, maybe like if it was put in, it would sort of throw off the rest of the story they're trying to tell. Like that's where I'll see it. Whereas on, you know, something that I'm working on now, they're on like their third season. And so it's not so much that I'm seeing any scenes that'll, you know, uh, get cut or that I think will get cut because I think by the third season, they have such a good sense of how their rhythm mm. works and what they're sort of going for that, you know, even if a, a scene might seem, you know, kind of slow or might seem like it's taking a while, it's usually because, you know, they're writing it so specifically now because they know exactly what they want. They're like, you know, you'll see this tiny little shot and you'll be like, like, how does this work into the larger story? <laughs> but, but, you know, and sometimes on shows, like when you're just starting out, like when a show is just starting out, it can be like you said, like you see it and you're like, oh, it's probably going to get cut. But in this case, it's like, they're shooting such specific things because they, yeah. uh, they've got it down to such a science now that it's not because they're kind of trying to figure it out, but it's like, it's this little tiny puzzle piece that goes in this perfect little place in the story made just for that tiny little puzzle piece and so i, I don't know there's there's a bunch of different you know i guess ways to look at it but um but but yeah you you definitely you sometimes think you know something might get cut but then sometimes you realize maybe it will or sometimes you realize it's actually such a you know perfectly crafted little you know almost insert shot that you realize it wasn't just on the flyer it wasn't something they were questioning but you know it's just something they picked up because it's in the schedule but i don't know if i'm explaining this correctly or no no <laughs> no yeah yeah i just thought it'd be like an interesting like thing to talk about because um i feel like that's just uh one of the things i like i like to think about on set or like going through the script not being like oh this is bad this will get cut but being like oh man like you know, because a lot of great moments have been cut from certain things I've worked on or oh, from like other movies where you watch the behind the scenes, you're like, ah, that got cut. Like, yeah. it's crazy. So I just I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about, like, if you felt the same way you're on set. But like, and never, I, I would say even when you feel like something might get cut, I never feel like it's a waste of time shooting it because you honestly just never know. Uh, Absolutely. And that's like every time in the editing room. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the same for you. And maybe now you can answer this question, but like, I I'll try and like, obviously to an extent, this does work, but you know, I'll always try and take, you know, previous observations and experiences from your know, previous sets and apply them to new sets that I'm on. But like, I'm always so constantly surprised by like how unique each, you know, set is like, and once again, I say to an extent, cause obviously, you know, there's like, you know, types of like professionalism and just ways of, you know, you know, carrying yourself on set that will always be good. But like in terms of just how a group of people of that size, you know, whether it's a really big group on a large set or a pretty like streamlined group on a smaller set or like everywhere in between, there's always like these little nuances and quirks of why something's filmed a certain way, why, you know, something's filmed a certain amount of times, why something that's filmed, you know, might get cut. You know, maybe it's like a logistical reason, maybe it's a story reason, or maybe it's just because, you know, it would, it would distract from something else. Like there's so many reasons why stuff gets cut. No. Uh, and uh, one of the, one of the things you just said is like how each set is different uh, through my limited experience of, you know, uh, being on set, whether a TV or a movie or a commercial, I feel like um, the kind of the vibe on set solely relates to the, the director meaning and i put them in two categories uh one a director that's passionate about what they do and a director that's just kind of there to get the job done and get a paycheck definitely because uh, i've worked with both sets uh of, or both types of those directors and uh i've been reading through this uh christopher nolan book written by uh tom Schoen, who's a uh, 
uh, an LA uh, critic, and uh, a lot is a lot of it is uh, a collection of them speaking to one another in oh, between cool. his like films. It's a great book; like you should totally check it out. It's called Nolan, and I think it's just called the Nolan Variations. And but it's going film by film, and I'm like, I'm I want to say I just finished uh kind of their part on inception but uh one of the things i've gathered from uh the book is like you know chris really he's one of my favorite directors and in my opinion he has not made a bad film i think all of his movies are strangely different but they're all masterpieces in their own certain way and it's just kind of like well how does a guy consistently make really good movies and i honestly think because he's never phoned it in like everyone that talks about him in the book so far like admire him not because oh you know he's really smart or anything which he is but like he is just like constantly trying to up himself and constantly seeking collaboration from other people like a lot of the times he's like you know i had a really bad idea and then my brother uh you know because his brother um uh jonah nolan is it jonathan i thought jonathan but he calls him jonah throughout the book jonathan Gotcha. I, he's not my brother, so I'll call him Jonathan. <laughs> so he's like, oh, Jonathan had this idea. And I was like, oh, that's great. Or, you know, it's talking about him spending hours and hours in his uh, personal garage, like going over certain things, uh, whether it be the score with Hans Zimmer and how like he brought this to life or, yeah. um, you know, or a production you know, designer brought this to life or a costume designer. And so I'm just like, man, he's just like constantly wants each and every area um, to be, you know, in a word, perfected. Yeah. But he wants to make sure he's collaborated with everyone and that they get, you know, they get their own ideas in. And I'm just like, oh, that's why he's such a great director is because like he's he's making sure everyone's ideas are heard and Definitely. he's willing to change his ideas or he's also willing to uh, follow his gut. If um, if he has an idea that maybe no one gets, but he really stands by and um, I'm to kind of talk a little bit more about Christopher Nolan like you should definitely check out the book if you're a fan if, if anyone's listening if you're a really big fan of him or if you really don't know much about him but really love movies you should just watch it because um it's just really interesting um I want no, to I think or sorry uh, go ahead I talked oh, no, I was just gonna uh, say that it even though I haven't read the book um that all instantly rings true because I feel like no matter you know even if you know some of his films aren't your favorite or if they're, you know, maybe not, you know, totally your, your style, or if yeah. maybe, you know, one film spoke something to you in one part of your life, and a different one of his films sort of speaks to you in a different part of your life, like, all of his films, you can, like, feel that, like, this sort of excitement of just the creative process hasn't, in like, he, I guess, like, the excitement, he, I don't think he's ever really let the excitement of it get to, like, monotonous, like, I never feel like, there's like this, you know, formula he's adhering to or that he's, you know, oh, no, trying to hit, like, like trying to hit like these certain marks, like even if he's hitting like certain kind of story points that other movies have hit, every time you get to it, it feels like you're, you know, experiencing it like in a new way. Like, I just feel like he always has this like really great just energy that comes through his movies of just like it, it never feels like, like you said, it never feels like, you know, any part of the movie is just being phoned in, even if it's not, you know, the best movie, it feels like every part of the film, you know, had some real just, you know, uh, what's the word, like momentum behind it when it was yes, being made. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And one of the things when he was uh, going through the, when he was talking to Tom Schoen about uh, Inception was he started writing that in his uh, early college days. And then he got to about like, I think he specifically said like page 83 and just couldn't get past that page. And it sat in his desk until uh, after the uh, Dark Knight came out, which was 2008. And um, he said, uh, and Tom Schoen wrote that um, much like Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, which sat in his desk for, you know, decades, like no one was waiting for this script to mature like a whiskey and that's so cool i know it was so cool the way he worded it um uh, and uh no one actually figured out how to then finish inception because he spent two months away from his family uh, during uh while filming uh portions of the dark night and he yeah. missed his kids so much that um after wow. after the dark night he uh took them to a beach and saw that kind of vision of 
the main character of Inception, like looking at his kids building those sandcastles wow. and like really missing his wife while he was working. And I just that in itself, I thought was like amazing. I was like, like goosebumps. That's happened. Like, I got like goosebumps. Yeah, like I know. I'm, I'm sure that's happened to a bunch of directors. I was going to ask, you know, since you're a writer, is there like maybe a script that you've worked on or like plan on working on that like you feel like it even though you might really want to work on it now you might have to like wait until like your 40s or 50s to like finally <laughs> make it happen i know that's an odd question but like no it, it's it's not i mean even like you know like stuff that i've um like how would i say this it's almost like it, it's the same thing i feel i feel like probably a lot of people of any sort of creative uh, persuasion could like align with that where like if you look at maybe something you've created recently or like something you've written recently and then you think back to you know you know where you were like you know two years ago on this date and you're like you know you you probably are almost like like you could have written it back then but you weren't necessarily ready to write it mm. and it and it's just interesting how it seems that when you do create something it kind of comes out when it when it needs to and when it's meant to come out and um that's just that's so fascinating because i feel like that that just links up with everything we've been saying about him and everything we kind of appreciate and are inspired by about him where it never seems like the writing process for him is about hitting deadlines and about meeting the you know criteria to get it made or get uh -huh. it bought it feels like you know writing for him is a very much that in that kind of traditional sense like he's living like at the same time like he lives alongside the work it's like like mm -hmm. the work is growing at the same time he's growing as a person it's not like he's like this is now where i will write you know the comedy film and now i will write an action film and now i'll write a drama it's like like that's so cool that you know just like the self-awareness to be like you know, at page 83 that he just had to step away for a bit and let you know the universe kind of tell him what he needed to say in the film um that's really cool though wow i don't yeah, even know if i answered your question but i was just like i'm just thinking so much about <laughs> everything everything you just said about him that's just so yeah. cool i know it's, it's the question you can't really answer until like it's presented to you later down the road but i just really i read that last night lying in bed and i was just like man this is just so fascinating that i that this is how writing works it's I don't know. And considering how like amazingly written that film is, um, yeah. like you can, after reading that, I was like, Oh wow. That I'm, I'm definitely going to have to watch the movie again. And then again, when, when one day I'm blessed enough to have children. And like, I feel like that's one of the magic magical things about movies is like, it can affect you in different ways as you mm -hmm. age. Um, and that other forms of art can do too, but I feel like yeah, but especially yeah, yeah, especially. Um, but uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about first, uh, we were over the phone. We were kind of talking about like um, we also were discussing the spectacle of films and how um, it's really difficult to capture that. Uh, I think you brought up Dune and you said you had seen it and you really liked it, but. Um, it just didn't hit you in a certain way that you thought it would. Is, did I word that right for you? Yeah. And I just had like a flash of a connection to our, you know, Christopher Nolan conversation when you just reminded me of the, of the Dune conversation where it's yeah. like, um, and, and listen, like I totally understand why some people had like the revelation that they did with Dune. I mean, I'm in, you know, no small way, unaware of it's just magnificence <laughs> um i still have yet to see it i need to i think i'm gonna go buy it on blu-ray yeah. and stick it in but sorry i i guess no 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 no. you, you never have to apologize <laughs> wait um, never to anyone huh well i don't know <laughs> you might have to think about that one but uh well no because like you and i were talking we were talking about just like how like uh you know what was once considered you know like a uh you know, generation defining spectacle and filmmaking is mm -hmm. now just like a regular Friday at the movies. Yeah. Right? Um, just in terms of just how far the technology has progressed. And I think with Dune, and also, I guess, just how my kind of taste in movies has grown as, I, as I've grown, you know, I've come to find that, you know, character stories and like real nuance with characters, 
usually ends up sticking with me longer than say, you know, a really incredible uh, spectacle film or like a yeah. really impressive environment in a film. And um, obviously the environment enhances, you know, like the characters, but like, like with Dune, um, I was so just impressed and overwhelmed and just, you know, immersed in the environment, but I can't say I had the same experience with like the nuance of the characters themselves or like the dialogue that was spoken or the relationships that they had. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, they're making more that could, you know, change as more films come together. But I think uh, for me, it was just an interesting experience I had. Um, whereas, and this might be a tangent, but it just kind of popped into my mind. Like I wasn't the biggest fan of Nolan's new film, Tenet, but there's moments in that film of like cool little character nuance mm -hmm. that, that have like just stuck with me for like many, many, many months. And, and maybe this is just like a personal, just like preference, or this is just, you know, my personal taste and in, in art and films, but like, like my favorite moments in Dune were like these cool, almost like, like uh, physical expressions of character. Like there's a really, you know, beautiful scene in the film. I won't spoil it, but like it has to do with just like the relationship between Timothy Chalamet's character and his mom. Mm. And, you know, even though I can't really recall many of the other, you know, kind of pivotal sort of character moments in the movie, that one's really stuck with me. For Tenant with Christopher Nolan, you know, I can't really, I couldn't really recall, you know, the full film as I might recall, you know, like some of my favorite films that I've ever seen. But uh, John David Washington, you know, who plays the main character. Yeah, the uh, protagonist. Yeah, the, the who plays the protagonist, <laughs> um, <laughs> literally and, and narratively. Yeah. Um, he, and this is like where I love, where like kind of like real life morphs into the storytelling and the storytelling kind of morphs into real life and you get this kind of cool sort of complexity and nuance, but he was, I think, and I could be getting this wrong, but I think he was either like in line to go to, or maybe was even in like the NFL or something for a while, or was like in the oh. professional football, just realm of, of, uh, of just like the combines or the drafting process. I don't know what it was. I just, I, I have was, no idea. I'm looking it up right now. While you're I talking. just know that he, and, and I'm getting to a point with this, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he, um, he was just like, he, he's an exceptional athlete outside of his acting career so far. Um, and I'll, I'll wait if, if you're researching it or anything. No, no, I'm, I'm listening. Oh, wow. He was signed with the St. Louis Rams as an undrafted free agent in 2006. I had okay. no idea. And I did not realize he was 37 years old. I thought he was maybe 30. So, wow. so outside of acting work and the training that actors go through to, you know, play very physical roles, John David Washington is an, an exceptional athlete by all definitions uh -huh. of the of the phrase, you know, if that's what he was doing prior to his film work. And in Tenet, there's like these two moments that have just stuck with me ever since I watched it. And when I go to look up the scenes on YouTube, the comments are filled with people talking about it. And I feel like this also merges into just Christopher Nolan's eye for just like really unique, organic you know, nuance, like character moments mm -hmm. in the same way you were talking about where like real life kind of merges in with the storytelling, you know, with him, it was, you know, that experience of having the kids and, you know, seeing them on the beach and working that into how he felt with the characters and in inception. This doesn't go as deep into, you know, necessarily the sort of dramatic story, but in Tenet, John David Washington's character has these moments of like athleticism that yes. usually are only reserved for like like the villains in the story or like some like stunt performer but like at, in the beginning scene like the opera scene the opera house raid like there's a couple of moments where he burst into like a full sprint and it's yeah. i don't know it, like there was something about it where like that wasn't a movie sprint like that is a man who knows how to run <laughs> and it was like and i like i don't know why it is and, and you know this is why we do these podcasts so we can investigate these things but like i get giddy talking about it of like seeing such a cool like unique and organic organic moment of like human just physicality because for me I don't know it just elevates that scene and elevates parts of the movie to just like this really cool level where you just have something that was obviously written in the script but that only a really cool you know director who had an eye to really go out of his way to film that kind of 
long shot of him running through the opera house Mm -hmm. and like it just really stuck with me and then the other scene is when he has the fight in the kitchen with like the thugs I guess oh yeah yeah at the restaurant it goes into the he goes into the the kitchen of the restaurant and he has this like explosiveness when he before that he says one of my favorite lines in the movie oh yeah yeah he goes, I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which like, I, I heard some people were like, oh, like, that's the funny. I laughed at that in the theater laughed. Oh, my gosh. It. It, and it's so perfect because, like, for me, for him to have that line and then literally display this level of, of, of like, explosiveness and violence yeah. and just tenacity as, you know, the good character in the film that just had so many cool ingredients that just really stuck with me of like, like just in seeing him move like that and seeing how he, you know, moves through a group of people. It's more than just like a normal fight scene. We're like, Oh wow. He's been trained. Like, yeah, you know, I feel like you see that in, at least for me, like that just gives me a whole universe of, of glances into who he is as a character and also you know, who he is as a person in real life, which for me doesn't break the immersion. It just almost enhances the experience of watching the film, of just seeing a character, like just perform in a way that, you know, not just any actor could pull off, you know, he has that, you know, that background of just explosive athleticism Mm -hmm. and to see it utilized in a character. I mean, I could go on and on just trying to explain the ways I'm trying to understand it because I'm still trying to understand it. But for some reason, that moments like that of just cool character nuance, whether it's in emotions or physicality mm, or, yeah. or, or just dialogue, like even down to like the hot sauce line. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's silly. It's cool. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, out of, it's just whatever it is. I don't know, but uh, uh, and, and I, yeah, it just, I would, it just really stuck with me in fascinating, no, yeah, in fascinating the, ways. One of the, uh, staying on Christopher Nolan movies, one of the, like the most like physical, things i've seen on a, in a film is uh in the dark Knight rises when um batman and bane are fighting underneath the uh in the sewers and uh yeah he kicks batman off that kind of like bridge and and s- instead of just like jumping off or going down the steps he like lowers him down like on those chains and you can yeah. see like his giant tom hardy's giant biceps going down you're like oh my gosh yeah like, like, strong tom like Hardy's i would be like, terrified ca- if i were yeah, tom hardy's just casually like, using a chain as an elevator and the yeah, elevator like, the elevator is like his freaking biceps <laughs> oh my gosh and like absolutely yeah well I've, yeah I've, i feel like christian Nolan has a great eye for casting actors that are willing to um commit a hundred percent to the roles that they're playing uh, i mean one of those is you know being uh, Heath Ledger in the dark knight like one of the greatest um performances of all time um, oh yeah and, and that right there i mean that entire performance is full of incredible you know physical acting like physical nuance acting like when he's like out of the cop car and his eyes ah, are yes. and the wind is just like blowing through his hair or like you know the thing that Heath developed where he would constantly like lick the scars around yeah, his mouth like, trying to make the scar makeup stay on yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know what it is but like the more people I talk to just about films in general the more I find that really cool moments of like physical acting nuance really mm. sticks with people and i find that fascinating that you know you find so many examples of really great scenes in movies where cool moments of like physical acting are kind of at the heart of it and like a lot of the times um and this is just coming from my actor's perspective is that a lot of those like really physical moments are like unintentional for the most part <laughs> or like yes, accidental or it's just improvised or like one of my favorite like kind of moments like that is in uh, on the waterfront when uh, marlon brando and uh i forget the actress's name in that um on the water this is the great thing about having a computer right in front of me <laughs> uh eva marie saint i knew it was something with an e I yeah, yeah, yeah. It wrong though anyways they're talking and they're walking in the park and um there's this great moment where she's playing with her glove and then it falls, it falls off. And uh, the, apparently the director was about to yell cut, uh, you know, and it was directed by um, 
Oh, old what's his name? Uh, oh my gosh, Elia Kazan, like one of the yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. classic yeah. ones. Apparently, he was about to cut, but Marlon Brando like walked over and picked it up, like while like still in the moment, and like started playing it with playing with it himself. It was like kind of, I know that's like a a weird moment to recall, but like it always just kind of stuck with me, and that was purely on accident. And I feel like a lot of those moments and a lot of these performances. Of course, there, you know, a lot of like you to be that good, you have to put in a lot of work. But then those like really special moments that you take away from that are completely accidental. Yeah. Or like like with Heath Ledger licking his lips, like he that was like an accidental thing. Like he he had to overcome because like the makeup would over time would like begin to like kind of dis- dissipate, and so by licking yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it kind of stayed together. And then well, that's cool. Like this. I was just saying this. Go ahead. Sorry, finish your. Finish your I was thought. just saying, and, and now, like, and whenever we think of that, of the Joker, we think of Heath Ledger licking his lips. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just saying, it all ties back to that, like, even like that story you told about Nolan, you know, going and living his life and having these like things. It's like you know, the art kind of gets into the story, and the story kind of gets into the art, mm-hmm. and then the art kind of merges into real life, and real life merges into the art, and it's like it's this crazy like like pinball game of just you know realistic you know factors that are playing into the work that they're doing on the set factors that playing you know like narrative factors in the story like you know just factors of like who are the actors as people and as you know Mm -hmm. just human beings like what are they capable of or secret like little talents they have or little quirks that they have um but like and i find it interesting because you know, there's physical acting that's like cliche, like there's physical acting and gestures and facial yes. expressions that when you see in a movie, it's not like surprising because it's stuff that, you know, we use every, every day in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with like all the examples we've just listed, you know, those are little things that, you know, more than personalizing a movie to an audience member that automatically, you know, personalizes the movie in of itself. Cause that's like a little moment that, that might be the very first time something like that's been captured on screen. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's the last because anyone who does it after that, if it's noticed, you know, it'll just be a, it's forced. It'll, just be like, yeah. it'll, it'll be forced. But what's cool is like, there's so many moments like that littered through film history that a mm. lot of people don't know about that directors like Nolan will, you know, go back and sort of, you know, pick from for inspiration because, you know, I mean, a lot of directors get inspiration from, you know, work throughout history and that's what i love it because i mean i don't know any examples of this off the top of my head but you know sometimes that stuff comes from like you said just these natural sort of moments of acting and these kind of perfect combination of forces but sometimes you know it'll be that cool little moment that maybe you know for example christopher nolan saw in a movie when he was a kid and you know no one else in the world would you know know that moment by name mm-hmm. but you know christopher nolan will put it in a movie or like put it in a character somehow yeah yeah exactly uh, man, I, I wasn't expecting to talk this much about Christopher Nolan, but like he, he's but had like, a huge impact. As with on all my... things, all roads lead to Nolan. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Nolan leads to all roads. I mean, no. you know, from, but I mean, I mean, it, his films are so you know magnificent and have kind of defined a lot mm-hmm. of different you know years of our generation. That you know, it's no wonder that just in talking about him, you get such a fascinating just you know branching off to all these different subjects. No, absolutely, and just reading the book like I'm not only inspired to make films myself and see um, uh, how to make movies in different ways and how to absorb different art to be able to inspire myself. But like, uh, I also really want to work with the guy as an actor. I really yeah. hope he keeps making movies as long as like Alfred Hitchcock did, you know, into his seventies um, or however, however old Thank Hitchcock you. was before he uh, croaked. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, uh, I was going to say, oh, uh, but um, it's just a really great book. It sounds like I like I'm pushing it or it's like a sponsor, but um, it's a really great book to read if you're just really fascinated with film itself. But um, uh, I was going to ask you, are there any films that uh, you're looking forward to this year, 2022? Interesting. Um, Funny enough, like the films I'm looking forward to are films that have already been released. Like they're movies that I just haven't watched yet. Oh, but okay, on gotcha, my list. Gotcha. Well, what are those? No, did I say haven't been released? If I said that, I meant have been released. No, no, you said that. Yeah. I, okay, what, okay. What movies? 
Um, I came across this, and funny enough, there's another great moment of like that physical, you know, acting in this film that everyone seems to talk about when they see the movie. But um, it, I, don't, I, I don't have the details on it right now. So I might, you know, skip over certain details or I might mess up the details. Either way, I came across this movie about a couple of years ago. Still haven't watched it, but it's called The 13th Warrior. And it's with um, Antonio Banderas. And like a lot of other people who I can't name off the top of my head, but it's like a really cool kind of like, like, a, I don't even know like how to describe it really. It, it's like takes place almost in like, like Viking era times or like, like Antonio Banderas is like this explorer who goes and like lives with some of the Vikings. And oh, wow. it's, I don't, it, as far as I can tell, I don't think it's based on a true story. <laughs> and if it no, is, I, it's probably very loosely based, but um, I just, I've heard it's just like one of those like classic kind of adventure action sort of battle movies, like, like war movies. Um, not, it's not a war film. It's just, it's just got a great story. I mean, once again, I, I couldn't tell you any details about it. I've just seen some random scenes from it, but it looked really compelling. And from what I've read, it did not do very well at the box office, but it became like a cult hit. There's like a cult classic in the groups that, you know, know about it. Did, um, and, um, Oh, sorry. Keep going. Oh, no, no, no. And I was just saying that um, it looks really cool because I think it was done in the 90s, maybe. But it has that kind of real, like, practical effects, kind of large scale. Yeah. Fight scenes, like kind of cool sort of, you know, ancient, you know, just depictions of, you know, warriors and their kind of code and their ethics. And um, and I, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm kind of just... Uh, loosely interpreting it because i really haven't read that much about it because i obviously it's been out for so long there's going to be spoilers so i'm trying to watch it fresh yeah but um that just kind of popped up on my list and a couple of the scenes i watched um it just has this really cool like almost like gritty handheld feel to it despite the fact that it's like a really sort of big scale like battle kind of action movie uh, from I, what I, I love from the scenes like that, that i've seen and uh antonio banderas He's one. He's in one of my like favorite kind of like action films that kind of fit into the same vein as like the Count of Monte Cristo or uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and that's uh, yeah. the Mask of Zorro. Um, oh I yeah, yeah, seen yeah. It in a long time, but is that the one with, with Anthony Hopkins? Yes, Anthony okay. Hopkins Amazing. and Catherine Zeta Jones. Yep, I think like Stuart Wilson is the bad guy, but um, that one is just a lot of fun i haven't seen it in a long time that's when i grew up watching with my dad a lot because it is kind of like a okay action film to watch with your children uh, <laughs> i'm sure some stuff like went over my head but uh yeah it, I, I antonio antonio banderas has had a long great career he's done so many things he really um, has he's been he's been around for a hot minute and he like i feel like he's never someone that i'm, I'm too aware of or too not aware of but like every yeah. time he pops Every time he pops up in something, I always seem to enjoy seeing him do his thing. Exactly. Yeah, I know he's in the new Uncharted movie. Uh, oh yeah, he uh, is. You're right. Which I'm, I'm probably not gonna watch. <laughs> but um, the video games are already masterpieces. Yeah. They didn't need to make a film. <laughs> yeah, those are some of my favorite video games of all time. So I'm just like, ah, eh, no, thank you. I, I'm good. Yeah. I, I don't think Hollywood has learned about the video game movie and how they really don't translate well yeah um, yeah or but i saw this one's making some money so they'll probably sony will continually probably look at other properties they can kind of milk well you know if it brings more people's attention to the video games then that makes me happy because those video games are like i mean i i hold some of those games as like my favorite movies because i might as well just have been playing through a movie <laughs> but, <laughs> I just, I was, that's like, so, so true invested in them. which one's your favorite one um i played three first that was my first one that i ever played oh you played them out of order too yeah i played them out of order i i was at my i was at like a friend's house for a spin the night when i was like in middle school uh -huh. everyone had fallen asleep and i was like wide awake and I walked over to his PlayStation. I was like, ah, he won't mind if I play on his PlayStation. And so, <laughs> I, and so I, I started like looking through his games and I was like, Uncharted, what is that? And um, I'd like heard of it, but I just thought it was, you know, just like a like 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 Tomb Raider or something. I just yeah. didn't really know what it was. 
And then I, I put it in and started at the first, you know, mission. I literally think by the next morning I had finished it. And oh I was just like, word. I was like talking in treasure maps. I was just like, I was just, I was like absolutely obsessed with it. And uh, then I like, you know, went back and did it in a chronological order. And I just thought the, the last one, uh, number four was just fantastic. Yeah. So I played the order I played in was two, three, one. Um, and then, uh, I obviously played four. I think I've played through the fourth the most because that's my favorite one as well um that one yeah that one crushed me uh that yeah. evening and I, I really hope i heard they were talking about maybe doing a fifth but i, I really really hope they don't touch well they did like they did um i don't know if you saw but they didn't they did an informal fifth yeah game. i did see that yeah the, the the lost legacy where they go to india but it's not uh nathan and uh it's not nathan drake it's it's the two uh female characters yes. from the fourth game i think it's like marlene and chloe but um, I feel like I read somewhere where they're like, you know, Nathan Drake may come back. I'm just really hoping he doesn't because I'm like, ah, just it's okay. That was a perfect ending. ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but like, even with that, like there's that's a great example. I mean, I'm sure everyone has their own opinions. But for me, when I when I played through it, that's like a fantastic example. You know, obviously kind of like, you know, some large TV shows, they had much more time to tell their story. You know, it wasn't a two hour long video game. But um, <laughs> that felt like a story with really big scale, but really great, you know, complexity and nuance with the characters. Like oh, it yeah. felt, it felt like the treasure hunt was there to just enhance the character's story, not the character's story there to enhance, you know, the treasure hunt. No, absolutely. Um, like those characters are some of the most like well-written characters. Like I just think in, in pop culture, like not just video games, but uh, like you said, like it, at times it really does feel like you're just watching this like classic movie. And um, the fact that what, it's also a video game is kind of just like the cherry on top. Definitely. And and maybe you can comment on this. Um, just maybe in terms I won't. Of, <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> it's your podcast. <laughs> Um, but I, I'd be curious to see if this, if, if it affected you in a similar way, but like, and you know, spoiler alert, but it's been out since like 2017, I think. Yeah, we can spoil it. <laughs> um, but you know, there's a scene when they, when they finally reach the kind of, you know, abandoned city, like the, uh, at the end of the game where the, like when they're nearing the kind of final, final part of the story where Nathan Drake and his wife are like driving up to the gates of this, you know, abandoned colonial city. And this, it's literally, it's probably one of my favorite moments in the game. And it has nothing to do with the treasure. It has nothing to do with like a big gunfight. And there's no one, you know, like, you know, shouting out dramatic last words as they jump into a pit of fire. Like it's, it's literally Nathan Drake and his wife driving a Jeep up a hill in like a rainforest with really, you know, peaceful music playing. Mm -hmm. And like, there's not even like, you can't even see the abandoned, like, you know, colonial city around them. It's literally just them in a Jeep in the, in the rainforest. But it's like the sort of culminative scene that speaks to kind of like the troubles they're having in a relationship as husband yeah. and wife. And it's kind of like this, like this culmination where they're not resolved yet in their, in their sort of conflict, but they've decided to just put it aside for the moment. Cause there's bigger things at play, but it's like, and, and, I want you to comment on this, but like, did that scene affect you in a similar way? Where like, I was like, oh, look at the pirate city. Look at like the pirate ship. Look at all the ancient abandoned ruins. And all of a sudden, you know, here's this scene that has nothing to do with any of the treasure stuff. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> like it has really affected me in a really fascinating way that you can have a scene in the middle of a game that has nothing to do with what the game is about. And yet that one ends up like sticking with you the longest. No, yeah, that's what the game is all about, though. Like, their relationships and, like, their choices that have affected one another. And, like, this, I feel like just any great media can do that is when yeah. you have so much going on and then it can kind of catch you off guard with this, like, moment that seems really small. But in, in actuality, it's, like, really this huge internal moment. And I know exactly what moment you're talking about. And, um, man, like, some that's, like, capturing, like, like just magic in a bottle you know it's like yeah. it's just one of the hardest things you can do and mm. uh but i feel like this oh, goes man, back to 
You make me want to replay that game like right now. <laughs> I know. It makes me want to just like get on and play just that one part. I know. Um, oh. But what I what I always love, and maybe you do the same, like I'm I'm such a big just like YouTube fanatic after I've watched something. Yes. Of just scouring the comments section beneath, you know, a video of one of the scenes just to see how people, you know, interacted with that same moment. And with that moment, if you look up that scene on YouTube, you know, the comments are just filled with people expressing how long it stayed with them after playing the game, despite the fact that it didn't actually really have anything to do with, you know, this sort of treasure they were trying to find. It was really all about their relationship. Um, And I mean, this goes back to writing as well. You know, same thing with like, you know, Nolan's writing too, where it's, it's, it, it might seem counterintuitive, but for people that, you know, really love writing and really just love studying writing and just, you know, exploring new writing, it almost seems that the more personal something is, the more universal it is for an audience. No, like yeah, the more, absolutely. The more specific something is written about, the more it like hits home to, uh, you know, audience members and, and, and viewers. Yeah. And I feel like, um, sometimes you can completely just like miss out on those moments because like I was saying earlier, like when you consume media at different ages, it can hit you in a different way. Like yeah. uh, one of, one of this, uh, one of these uh, gamer YouTube YouTubers I'm subscribed to when uh, Uncharted 4 came out back in 2017 and he reviewed it, uh, it kind of caught me off guard because he didn't really like it that much. And uh, I think last year he like then like tweeted out his favorite video games of all time and Uncharted 4 was in his top five. And he was like, he was like, I played it again and it just hit me on so many different levels and I had matured so much more in life. I understood. And you know what the funny thing was is that in between that time he he had been engaged and then married and then he had replayed it again. And it was just like one of those things where you're like, Oh wow. And then you think to yourself, like, I wonder what movies, I've maybe kind of shut out or video games or music or, or TV shows I've shut out because I didn't like fully relate or comprehend at the time. Um, yeah. Because sometimes in life you do need to go through certain experiences to appreciate uh, a certain levels of absolutely. Art. But um, yeah, well, I think when it's really well, I mean, just personal, like, you know, I feel like when, when it's, when a movie is really personal to the director the writer and the actors, like man it just becomes so much more magical like one of the things Christopher Nolan was talking about to this uh to this journalist in his book was about how Leonardo DiCaprio like really helped him uh do some rewrites on the script for Inception like making it more personal to Leo and like developing that relationship uh between Dom and uh Mal um yeah uh and you know just sometimes like I love it when I like hear that an actor can come in and be like oh well like do you mind if I infuse this? And the director's like, absolutely. Let's like, wor- let's workshop it together. Um, well, it's like, it's like the more personal and specific touches yeah. are, are, you know, compiled into a story. I feel like the more it really, it just, there's just the, that's just an even higher, you know, possibility of it, you know, affecting people on all those different levels, whether it's like, you know, the set design or whether it's like, you know, the story or the music or the writing or, exactly Um, and and i feel like um when a director and a writer's and solely in charge of that it excels but when like a studio is like okay we need to hit these points so you need to make sure you have a scene like this in or a scene like this in or a scene like this and make sure we hit like all the target demographics like for example like vince gilligan it like was essentially like I know he had different other directors and writers help help him too, but he was kind of the main guy behind Breaking Bad. And I've, you know, never sold or done any drugs, <laughs> but like I relate to all those characters in so many different ways because they just feel so real and they're human. Yeah. And I never what? feel like I'm being like specifically targeted because there are so many people that love that show. And you could, you know, go to any popular show and maybe pull out examples, but that's just the one that like, I went to just because I am so different from those characters. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful because like, you know, even if that's not your experience, it affects you, but for Mm -hmm. people out there that maybe have, you know, spent time in that world, it probably, I mean, I can't, it probably just affects them even more so. And, you know, and that's just a really, you know, beautiful spectrum about the effects the show can have. Like, Mm. you know, that show can affect you whether or not that's your, that's real to you or your life. I mean, my Lord, you know, the 
you know, Hamilton, you know, who on earth would have thought we'd live in a time where like people would become obsessed with one of the founding fathers, but like, <laughs> like every interview that he ever gave, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who wrote it, he always said that his foremost intention, when he was like, I just want people to understand that, you know, like, you know, like Hamilton was like a rapper, you know, he's like, he's like coming up from, you know, like the bottom, he's like going through all these things. And it's like, this might've been the 1700s, but you know, their emotions and the way their brains worked and the way that their relationships came together and broke off and, you know, separated and had troubles and had wins. It's like, it's not that different from, you know, what we live through mm. currently. And I feel like it was in such a cool scale of like that time and the revolution and everything, but it's such like, I mean, there's so many things in that musical, that, you know, I relate to just in terms of like personal relationships and, you know, yeah. taking part in the revolutionary war. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, but it, is, it is that thing where like, that's probably the, one of the first times in recent memory that someone has personalized uh, historical figures like that beyond just like, you know, a personal account or a journal written about them or, or like, you know, some documentarian from that time. Like it just really puts you in the mind of like, a normal dude under crazy circumstances and you know in crazy expectations i just i just like the idea that there was like some guy in like some small town like like years before lynn uh lynn uh men how do you say his last name uh lynn manuel miranda yes i'm not even gonna try to say it again i know that's not a hard one but i get tongue-tied easily I just like to think that there's like some guy like somewhere before, you know, Lynn uh, Manuel Miranda. Hey, I said it even thought of that idea and was like trying to convince his friends and like his <laughs> wife that like he had this musical idea about the founding fathers and they just all like convinced him not to do it. And now like <laughs> I can just see him like flipping on like the TV and he's just like, no, yeah. no, no, <laughs> they took it from me. <laughs> but you actually, despite the, like the, um, the, the funniness of that image like it really did bring me back to what you said about like Christopher Nolan where um like Lin-Manuel Miranda just randomly picked up a biography about Alexander Hamilton before going on his honeymoon like the dude just saw it in an airport bookstore and he was like yeah okay whatever and oh, wow. it just so and it just so happened and this goes back to your Christopher Nolan thing all roads lead to Nolan dude I swear <laughs> <laughs> um you know this goes back to the Christopher Nolan thing because he read that book and found that a huge amount of things that Hamilton had gone through were almost like parallel mirroring things that he was going through in his personal life right now with oh, like, wow. like literally coming from, you know, like an immigrant from, you know, like a small nation, you know, in mm -hmm. like a different city and with a family, you know, from that country. And, you know, he was currently in a relationship and he was about to have his first child. And, you know, I'm talking about like both you know, Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda, like he was going through these things yeah. as he was reading the guy's life. And, you know, I just find it so fascinating how like the stars kind of align with certain works of art yeah. when like the artist lets themselves, you know, be open to how their life can, you know, influence it. And, you know, he didn't, you know, like rush through that and put it up, you know, a month later. I think if I remember correctly, it took him six or seven years not to get it made but to write it mm. like that wasn't including like you know putting it up you know choreographing music data like just to put it all together in his you know conceptualization of it was like six or seven years and all that time you know he was living his life in very strange ways like mirroring things that happened in hamilton's life that's great he was assassinated not not no were you about to say not yet <laughs> well the, the the joking part of my mind was about to just instinctually say that but i said i shouldn't say that, that yeah you shouldn't say that no i no 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 if he but, if, um, if he is then we're in big trouble i mean <laughs> like, you like you know, yeah i just think it's just, it's just so fascinating when you look into really just well received you know works of music or art mm -hmm. or something else and it just has whether really, you know, obviously or more so like metaphorically, just it has a clear sort of fingerprint of, you know, the creator of its, you know, personal journey, either before or during the making of it. No, absolutely. And um, that's what uh, this podcast is. It's a work of genius. That's what I'm saying. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're exploring our, 
our identities as we grow as people. Um, and it, it is something that like uh, I was thinking about the other night and I want to, I want to know about your experiences in your younger years with this. Cause I want to okay. know if it was the same for you, but like, I didn't notice it when I was doing it, but like, if I look back now, at like, you know, fun movies I made with friends or like little fan fan films or little, just like short videos for YouTube and stuff like yeah, I, I conducted myself, you know, on those little, you know, sets in the backyard with a, you know, iPhone, like I was on, you know, a professional movie set. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And I don't even know if I did it consciously, but it's kind of that aspect of like, even if you're not there in your personal journey yet, you know, you're allowing your mind to kind of be in that world, even before you arrive there. Mm. And, um, and I feel like then everything after that is just kind of scaling it up or into different mediums. But like, did you have that experience where like people would be like, like, you're like really serious about this, aren't you? And you're like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Like whenever, I mean, I just like to think I've always been very serious and like very much like, not like serious to the point where it becomes like agitating to work with me, but like serious to the point. Oh, totally. Where like, no, if we're going to do this, like, let's do it right. Like, I remember yeah, let's let, totally. videos, like outside with one of my buddies and um, and we made this really uh, dumb video where it was just me uh, shooting a basketball. And um, I was trying to explain to him that it wasn't supposed to be like cool. It was supposed to be funny because in it, I'm like, oh, I'm far far away from the net <laughs> yeah so i was trying to pitch this some idea and i was like no no it's gonna be it's gotta be done this way he was like no let's just keep recording it until you actually make one and i was like no the point of it is we're going to be so braggadocious in the video and be so like high on ourselves like the point of the video was i launch it towards the net and then it cuts to a terrible terribly shot like underneath the basket like this it going in it just the ball dropping in like obviously i didn't make it but whenever it does i'm like yeah like i'm way closer than i was before and he was like you know this doesn't make it doesn't make any sense people will think you like cheated and i was like no that's the point but we have to act as if like i really did because that's what makes it funny and yeah. uh, I think he was more annoyed with me, but it, I, I thought it ended up being really funny. <laughs> no, I mean, it was the same thing for me. Where, like, you're going to have, like, like you would make these videos and you, like, some people at school would see it and they'd be like, hey, can I, you know, like, can I make a video with you guys? I'm like, sure, come on out. Mm. And then, like, they get there and they're like, you guys are, like, really serious about this. And, like, it wasn't like we weren't having fun, but, like, our fun was, like, treating it, you know, kind of professionally or, like, yeah, you said, yeah, like, just really, like, you know, not just running around and you, know, like, like, just, you know filming whatever came to mind like really like having a plan and like a, a, a methodology of like how to go about shooting it what this scene would kind of mean in the larger story and um and like but yeah same thing for me like, like you have these friends like i never forget like we had this one time where um you know we were like doing just like a cool kind of like like action sort of thriller and a friend of ours from school was like, hey, that looks like really cool what you guys are doing. Like, can I come over and be a part of it? I'm like, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he came over and about halfway through, he's like, he's like, this is too hard. Like, I don't want to think about it this much. Like, can we just like make the video? And I'm like, but where is the fun of that? No, people don't realize how hard it is to make even just stupid stuff. No, I mean, like, like, we would, like I kid you, like same thing with you. Like, we're literally filming this on, on an iPhone. Like, you would have like pre-production meetings, like in my <laughs> friends, you know, like kitchen, and like we would go like location scouting, and we'd have like wardrobe fittings, like right. by his closet, <laughs> like yeah, we'd do like the whole thing. Like we, I mean, you'd have like you know, you'd have like like stunt rehearsal day, like right before filming. Like I mean, I and everybody that. with everyone that like showed it to take part were like, oh, I thought you we were literally just like you know, like just you know fake fighting each other and filming it i'm like no 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 no. so see this is gonna be like our second setup after lunch and then like just this whole thing i love that um, so much i was i was talking to my wife and the other day and i was like you know what's incredible is that you can put a lot of hard work and just try to do your ultimately like your best job on a movie and it can still come out like terrible that's how hard it is to make a movie and like 
but that's also back to you know nolan's thing Mm -hmm. and letting a story do its job and not letting you know the business run the story exactly like that's so funny bring that up because i was literally just thinking about that last night like what you're saying where you can have the most talented people and the most amount of money in the world thrown mm-hmm. at something. But if the script wasn't, you know, matured correctly, yeah. if, it, if it was thrown into the ringer and people just threw wads of cash at it, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to come out. You know what, you know what Alfred Hitchcock said was the three main what? things that you needed to make a great movie? What did he say? He said, first, you need a script. The second, you need a script. And the third, you need a script. The, the movie has to have a great script. Otherwise, yeah. if you don't get that done, you're, it's not going to be a good movie. Like you can have a, you can have a great script with not, you know, not many known famous actors um, or, or even a big time director. And it can still probably come out pretty good. And then you can yeah. have a terrible script with A-listers and maybe a director who has made good movies previously. Yeah. And the movie can just stink. <laughs> well, I mean, I just like go to Lord of the Rings. Like Peter Jackson had done one movie. Like I think he'd literally done one small budget horror movie. Yeah, he did Lord like, uh, I forget what it was called, but the one with the puppets, right? Yeah. And, and like, my, my Lord, like 75% of that cast, they just plucked out of nowhere. Like Orlando Bloom was fresh out of film school. Yeah. I think like Vigo Mortensen had probably done a couple things. You know, I don't think Elijah Wood had even been born yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, he he was. I mean, honestly, Elijah Wood was probably the most famous one because he had done uh, the whale movie. And, and that's then, what's so funny is like and then the Sean youngest, Astin was in yeah. Rudy and Goonies, but really hadn't done anything in a while. Yeah. So yeah, all those people they cast, like they took a huge chance on. I really don't think like Kate Blanchett was big, like super big. You know, she'd probably worked on some stuff, but wasn't that big of an actress. Yeah. Um really yeah, and it, then, yeah. And then Ian this, McKellen was really well known like in the stage world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, um but I, I brought I bring that up because like Lord of the Rings is a fantastic story. And even though it was put in the hands of people who, you know, someone might not take a chance on because they're also kind of fresh, the story, you know, carried that project because yeah. everyone working on that was very aware that, you know, like if, if they do their due diligence and really put in the work, it's such a good story that it, it, it's just like it's, an, it's inevitably going to affect people if it's done the right way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have you listened? That's that's obviously the key, like if it's done the right way, but it's like you said, you know, you can work as hard and as amazing as you can. Thankfully, everyone on the Lord of the Rings set worked really hard and worked amazingly. But at the end of the day, it's just an amazing story. And, you know, that's why that those movies are still so just freaking impressive, even to this day. Yeah. You should check out the, uh, the friendship onion with uh, Dominic Morgan and Billy Boyd. They have a podcast and it's, it's great. They talk to a lot of the guys from Lord of the Rings about certain things uh, about the film and like how great that story is and how it still affects their lives. But um, speaking of podcast, I think this is a great place to stop for today. I think we've covered a lot. All roads lead to Nolan. You need a script <laughs> and go play Uncharted. <laughs> yes. Yes. Takeaways from this are uh, allow Noah and I to make movies yes <laughs> all, all roads lead to no one go play uncharted and if lynn manuel miranda is assassinated it's not my it's fault not no winter's fault in our conversation <laughs> i promise it's not my fault and also if you're ever in an airport 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 bookshop <laughs> airport book store just maybe pick up a book you never know <laughs> the most pretentious thing all right i'm like no i'm just joking yeah. all right man that's, you never know that's, what might happen to you if you just pick up a random biography at an airport bookstore oh that's great that's a great way to end it all right man uh, i actually i just saw your text that's fine i didn't see it before i said we should probably wrap it up that's funny but uh dude are you so you're headed to work right now yeah i'm gonna head out here in just a bit but this has been a lovely lovely conversation as always they always are man uh i hope we can uh talk to each other soon i hope you have a great rest of your day man i'll let you know when i'm releasing this i think i'm i'm gonna do a solo one sometime tomorrow release that this week and then release this one uh the following week and samply will post a picture or a link of the nolan book 
because yes, I want, that's a good I want idea, to actually I, I will do that I can do that I figured out then, how we, to do that. then we can have a podcast book club dude that's actually not a bad idea like a podcast film book club that'd be pretty cool oh speaking of that i'm sorry i know you have to go but real quick jim dent the author of 12 my orphans messaged me on facebook no way he really liked my performance as chicken he he said it really stood out to him and that one day he'd love to meet me and and talk all right that's like the best way you could have ended this podcast that's so (laughs) cool no it was so sweet of him yeah he just got out of prison and he saw the movie (laughs) And I want you to reiterate like, oh. that part for everyone to hear. Yeah, Jim. Did, yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm probably gonna edit that part out. That's okay. But uh, all right, man. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right. You have a fantastic day. All right. You too, man. Love you, all bro. Right. God bless. All right. See ya. All right. Bye. Bye.